the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The unmarried have more potential to set themselves apart for the things of the Lord. Hindrances to the single's devotion to the Lord and commitment to service are, again, self-imposed. They are not commanded as are marital obligations. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. In 1955, Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen published a song that would be popularized into infamy by Frank Sinatra. The song was Love and Marriage, and it lays out an idea that we as Christians know to be true, not because of a song, but because of the scriptures. The first stanza says, love and marriage, they go together like a horse and carriage. You can't have one without the other. We know that the Apostle Paul would wholeheartedly agree with this statement. He extols by the Spirit's inspiration, marriage. There is no relationship on earth. There is no human relationship that the Bible lays out as more intimate, more as one, the two become one flesh, more profound as it is from human to human. And the Bible is very clear that when we are married, we are to love, we are to serve, we are to give, we are to sacrifice for our spouse. Love and marriage are so intertwined that the very definition of love, selflessness, the willing to be sacrificial even to the point of death, is embodied and explained in the scriptures in marriage. Love and marriage, you cannot have one without the other. And that truth is actually a problem for Paul. It is the problem with marriage. Confused? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 35. Through 35. Follow along as I read those verses. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. The problem with marriage is that marriage influences your worship. And what Paul lays out for us here is that that influence is usually negative. 
And so this morning, as Paul continues his explanation of his preference for Christians to remain unmarried, whether they were never married or were once married but are now not, he gives us four ways marital status influences worship. The first is the caring desire. The caring desire, and we see this in the beginning part, the first sentence of verse 32 where Paul says, but I want you to be free from concern. When you understand the place God is to have in our lives as the ultimate, the utmost priority, then you understand that Paul comes from a place in which his concern for us is in light of that priority. Not social circumstances, not even marital status per se, but everything he says, as we know, comes from his desire to glorify God, but also for us as Christians to glorify God. And so in talking about his preference that Christians remain single, the Apostle Paul explains that it is for our freedom from concern, or the word also means anxiety. And the anxieties he speaks of stem from marriage. These are not sinful anxieties as they are uh, anxieties in general are seen as sinful in other places in Scripture. But here he says anxieties in the sense of things that you are concerned about. We would use in our modern English, what are you worried about, even though you're not literally worried. It's just a way of phrasing something that is occupying your mind, something that you are concerned about, distracted with. You see, there are pressures from marriage that bring distraction into our lives, and they distract us from our single-hearted devotion to the Lord. Again, this is the main concern here. That's not to say that we don't have other distractions outside of marriage, regardless of our marital status. But marriage, and this is very important to understand the whole of this passage, marriage brings distractions that exist because of our pursuit of obedience to the Lord. In other words, the distractions of marriage are commanded in Scripture. So, assuming that we are only pursuing that which the Lord desires... We know that's not true, but hypothetically assume that we only pursue in our lives that which God wants. The person who is married has more concerns that take away from a complete focus on the Lord. The single Christian, however, does not have those concerns and is only concerned, Paul says, about how to please the Lord because without a spouse, There is nobody else they need to be concerned about to the degree that married people do about their spouses. As a side note, as we will see with the rest of the passage, there is a whole potential sermon here just on what is implied or assumed, not even Paul's point. And we won't spend a lot of time on here because to be faithful to the text, I want to expound on what his point is. But in making his point, he brings in other assumptions about Christians. For example, here, Paul's assumption that an unmarried person has no distractions in his or her life that would take away from their complete dedication to the Lord. I believe that's very convicting because the average Christian single today has dozens of distractions in their life that are self-imposed and many, in fact, are considered by Scripture to be sinful. The way we ought to live, though, 
is that as a single unmarried person that there are no distractions from their commitment to the Lord simply because they are not married. And we're not talking about the normal aspects of life like jobs and taking care of your body. Things like your career and nutrition are only distractions from the Lord when you sin with the things like fear of man, wanting to make enough money to impress people or try to impress your boss, or the love of money. So there are things in our lives that we would not consider true distractions from the Lord, but we find that things like jobs and taking care of our health are distractions because we bring sinful mindsets into them, such as the love of money, wanting to impress people with our physique or things like that. But back to the text. Paul loves the Corinthian believers and is concerned for them. And his caring desire is that they be free from marital concerns. And he goes on to explain in more detail what he means regarding the distractions of marriage. What exactly is in marriage or in your spouse that would distract someone from a fully focused commitment to the Lord. And that brings us to our second way marital status influences worship, and that is the consecrated devotion. And here we begin with the unmarried individual who can have and should have a full-fledged consecrated devotion to the Lord that is not pulled in any other direction but up. As with our third point, This second point, we will have to kind of get from different passages. It's just not clear word after word. So look uh, look with me at the second part of verse 32, where he says, One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Then jump to the middle of verse 34. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. Now we see that Paul addresses both men and women, and he uses basically the same phrase for both, but adds nuances to the man and the woman. With the woman, you may have noticed that he addresses two different kinds of women or two different situations. He refers to the unmarried as well as to the virgin. Now, there is some debate as to what these refer to. Some believe that the word virgin refers to the person who has never been married, thus making the term unmarried refer to those who have been married before but divorced. Why not a widow? Because in verses 6 and 7, there's a third Greek word that is clearly referring to widows. Others believe that virgin is referring to those who are actually engaged or betrothed to be married. That is clearly uh, the translation that the, the interpreters of the ESV Bible used as the word is not virgins, but it is betrothed. What is important is that we will see the general principles for both men and women and women of any status so long as they are unmarried, including widows. If they are single, these principles apply regardless of whether they were married before or how their marriages ended. This applies to all singles. In other words, the descriptions that Paul is about to give us for both singleness and marriage apply to all Christians. The difference being only whether you are currently married or currently single. 
In verses 32 and 34, again, where we get our second point, where he addresses the unmarried, we see that Paul uses the same phrase, concerned about the things of the Lord. Verse 32, he further explains this with how he may please the Lord. That is just an addendum, a further clarification of what it means to be concerned about the things of the Lord. This is a singular, undistracted focus on the Lord. And if you really want more details to that, you understand and you know from the scriptures that this kind of focus on the Lord, the things of the Lord, can be summed up in the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, the second only can exist if it hinges and flows out of the first Everything else that we do on a practical obedience level, worship, prayer, service, fellowship, all of it starts there with loving the Lord and then loving others. Without it, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians 13, as as the children have seen in our children's messages, without it, you are nothing but a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. In other words, no matter how noble your actions may seem, without love, it is worthless. It is worthless to you. It is worthless to God. This, loving, biblically, in and of itself, is a lifelong all-consuming endeavor. You will never master this in your time on earth. To love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is hard enough without the distractions of loving your spouse as you love yourself. And so, this is what Paul is talking about. Verse 34 clarifies that being concerned about the things of the Lord includes holiness both in body and spirit. Uh, By way of reminder, the literal definition of holy is set apart, to be set apart. It is very appropriate in this context. God's holiness is that he is completely set apart in his very essence, in his very being, in his character, in his ontology. He is set apart from the world, from sin. For Christians, we are set apart to the Lord, from the world, from our sin, from our sinful way of thinking, from our enslavement to sin prior to salvations. We have been taken by God and we have been set apart as a special people for himself. Now, this aspect of setting apart and being holy and pursuing holiness, setting ourselves apart day by day, repenting of sin, turning away from the ways of the world is easier to do when your interests are not divided. And indeed, set apart here contrasts the divided attention of someone who is married. Again, to put it simply, single people can be more devoted to the Lord's work because they only have one set of cares. The married people have two sets of cares, God and family. Now, if you sit there, whether single or married, and you say, well, I have way more sets of cares, that's on you because that's self-imposed. Body and spirit, simply a simple way of referring to the entirety of who you are, both the physical body and physical actions, as well as your heart and mind. 
And it's not that you are unholy and not set apart to God if you are married, but we all know, again, that holiness takes a lot of time, effort, and dedication. It includes perfection in God's eyes. Time, effort, and dedication that married men and women have less of at their disposal because like you singles, we married men and women have jobs, we have homes, we need to eat, we need to sleep, but we also need to take care of all of those things and more in regards to our spouse and, Lord willing, our children. We have left less time effort and dedication at our disposal for the pursuit of holiness. And as I said earlier, there are volumes of profound teaching here simply in what is assumed of the Christian. You see, you don't automatically have a deeper consecration, a deeper level of commitment to the Lord simply because you're single. What you do have are more resources than a married person to consecrate yourself to the Lord. What you do with those resources is up to you. Are you going to use it for holiness or are you going to use it for selfish, worldly pursuits? This, by the way, also applies to married. What are you going to do with your time? But to the point, singles have all of their time and resources that can be used fully for the Lord. And the question is, what are you going to do with that time and those resources? Paul is making general statements that are valid and true. Obviously, it's not just about holiness or no holiness, devotion or no devotion, distractions or no distractions. We understand life doesn't work that way. There are seasons. There are degrees. There is excelling still more. There is striving and spiritual growth. But there is ultimately no point in trying to classify or address all the dozens, if not thousands, of different levels of concerns. Well, what about the single who supports his parents? What about the widow who has young children? What about the married couple with no children? I get it. Each of these situations will have differing obligations pulling at them. You can even add to that the challenges of having handicapped kids or kids with learning disabilities. But here's my point. The general principles are still true. Far too often, we take specific and perhaps unique situations to try to disprove or twist the scriptures that we do not like. None of that negates or disproves the word of God, no matter how much we may dislike it or even how much we may like it, but our experiences seem not to apply to what the scriptures say. And what Paul says here is true. Singles can have more devotion to the Lord than married people. These truths are taken as true only when you understand the greater context of the Christian life and the whole of the Bible. And that for me involves two things. First, we should be focusing primarily on God and giving Him our maximum time, effort, money, and attention. If you're not doing that, then none of this makes sense to you. Secondly, if you are married, you are fully committed to serving and submitting to or leading your spouse fully. 
Otherwise, none of this is true or makes sense. But that leads us to our third way that marital status influences worship. And now we come to how he addresses the married people or marriage. Number three, the compulsory distraction. Look at verse 33 into the beginning of verse 34. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife and his interests are divided. And jump to the end of verse 34. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. You'll notice that again, the same statement is made of both male and female, husband and wife. He or she is concerned about the things of the world, how he or she may please their spouse. The only addition for the husband is the phrase, and his interests are divided, which logically applies to both husband and wife. Now, I want to clarify that things of the world here are not sinful things. And it's not bad if you read that and your mind automatically went there because the New Testament does consistently use the world as a reference to something evil and negative and controlled by the prince of the power of the air, namely Satan. But that is not the case here. That's not how Paul is using this word. This goes back to verses 29 and 31 that we saw last week, which tell us that marriage is of this world. In other words, it is passing away. It is not eternal. The form of this world, including marriage, is passing away. So when Paul says that we are concerned as husband and wife about the things of this world, he he is talking about things that are necessary, things that are commanded, but are not of eternity. They are the things that do not exist in eternity. The contrast, of course, is that the single person does not need to be enmeshed in these types of concerns. See, we will exist eternally in the new heavens and new earth, specifically the new earth. So we will live forever on earth, but it will be completely destroyed and then rebuilt. And at that time, there will be no marriage, and thus no worldly concerns about marriage. So to sum up, here the things of the world are not inherently bad. They are not negative. They are not sinful. And to be clear, neither the various aspects of marriage nor the concerns or anxieties about those aspects are inherently bad or negative. But they are concerns. And they are concerns that occupy one's time and attention in a way that is unique to this world and unique to marriage. When we follow the biblical pattern of marriage, marriage is a commitment to another person that involves your whole being. Not just just your time off work, not just time uh, when you guys are in the bedroom, not just on vacation, whatever it is. It involves everything the two become one flesh. It's a relationship of care and concern that we know, again, is held in high esteem in the eyes of God and is irrevocable, as we see on God's teaching on divorce. In no way is Paul criticizing married people for being married nor does he criticize them for having these concerns. He expects them to. According to Scripture, these concerns are obligatory. They're compulsory. They are required if you are to live out your marriage the way God desires, God demands. 
Now, the reason they are of the world is not just because marriage itself is of the world, but also because the specific concerns that Paul is referencing are of this world. Food, clothing, mortgages, happiness, as Paul says here, and as we saw last week, even such things as emotions are temporary and of this world because in eternity, our constant state will simply be joy. We can see how this causes one's interest to be divided. A good picture of this, though it's not in the context of marriage, is Christ's admonition of Martha in Luke 10, 41. It is that infamous scene where Jesus comes to the home of Martha and her sister Mary, and while Mary immediately sits at Jesus' feet as learner and worshiper, her sister Martha also most likely in a desire to honor and worship Christ. We cannot forget that. We often criticize Martha. She wanted to honor Christ. She was running around making preparations for him, preparing and serving food and whatnot, most likely even getting clean water ready so he could wash his feet or his hands. Martha then asked Jesus to tell Mary to help her. I'm running around doing everything. This is a two-person job. And in Luke 10, 41, Jesus replies with those famous words, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. And that word worried with which he describes and admonishes Martha has the same Greek word, Greek root rather, as the word divided in our passage for the morning. Your interests are divided. Like Martha, the married individual has his or her interests divided. And again, that division is not a sinful thing. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live-streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.